0: amen what a blessing to have junior church rival how many people are here this morning so uh, we thank the lord for that we thank you lord for faithful parents who are bringing their children out to be taught uh, by uh, these teachers and the gifted teachers uh, that that we have and uh, we're thankful for the time that we can spend in the scriptures and going through the book of acts and we've been going through the second sermon that was preached during the christian era that was preached by uh, peter and it's amazing again to look at this sermon because again we've gone through we said this is probably a summary of a longer sermon that peter preached in fact if you read the text if you even uh, uh, timed richard uh, uh, reading all the way through acts chapter 3 it probably took two or three minutes you know and so it's not very long and this is probably a summary but what, what they do is they emphasize the major points. And we said, again, when you look at all of these sermons, they're, they're all different, but they're all the same. And what we mean by that is they have common themes, common main points. And there's always four main points to the gospel. You know, and one is, again, recognizing that God is the great creator God of the Bible, you know, that there is only one God. You know, and there would have been much affinity with the Jewish audience that happened to begin right there because they were grounded in the Old Testament. But, but he wants them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this isn't a foreign deity, but the one true God that happens to be, again, of the Old Testament. The second truth I think is the easiest as far as to see, but I think it's the hardest for us to accept. And that is, again, that man is a sinful creation. We have chosen to sin against this God. And when you start to look at the revelation that God, again, has given to each one of us, we can see that. We can see that we're sinners. And for the Jewish audience, even though they tried to live according to the law of God... You could see their sin, so, so evident. In fact, they crucified the Lord of glory. They crucified the long-awaited Messiah who would come. And therefore, again, they're, they're, they, like every single person, is, is worthy of the absolute eternal judgment of God. We have sinned against this great God. But the third truth, and the third truth that we looked at last time, the third and fourth truth, is that Jesus Christ is a merciful Redeemer. Jesus has come, he has taken that sin upon himself, we realize that events that transpired were, were not just bad luck, but they were all ordained by God. This is God's plan, to put Jesus on the cross, that he would pay that ultimate penalty for all of our sins and that our sins would be blotted out. You know, in recognizing all that, the question that should come to mind is how do we respond to that? And that's the fourth point, there needs to be a necessary response. And that necessary response is repentant faith. And you can see that in verse, in verse number 19 of the text. He says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And we look at conversion and we said conversion is two sides of that one coin, right? On one side there's repentance, on the other side is faith. And one presupposes the other. In other words, when you understand one properly, you'll understand the necessity of the other. And repentance is not just a change of mind, but it's a change in our whole disposition. As we look at sin and think about sin, we, we are repulsed by it. We don't want it in our lives anymore, and we realize that it's worthy of the judgment of God. But not only that, the other side is faith. You know, that we realize that we need to put our trust in Jesus. And that's what he says, repent and turn back. The question is, what are they turning back to? And they're returning back to Jesus Christ, faith in him. It is faith in him alone, whereby we have this wonderful, glorious salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. But this morning, I want us to look at what we call the superior promises of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think, again, this is absolutely essential when we understand the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I think there's a real shift in Christianity uh, as far as the hope of the gospel. You know, and if you had to, had to name what is the hope of the gospel, what would you name? What would you come up with? You know, we trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. Now what comes? You know, I can remember I was explaining the gospel to a gentleman again one day you know, and all the way through, you know, I went through all four points. And after I got through the end, I, I, I asked him what he thought about it. And he had sort of a wry smile all the way through the explanation of the gospel. And he said to me at the, at the end, he said, I've tried it and it didn't work. And and I asked him to explain what he meant by that. You know, and here, here was a, a gentleman, again, who has a, who had a substance abuse problem. You know, his marriage uh, um, was long over. It was, he was obliterated because of his substance abuse. And he was never able to hold down a job. You know, and his whole point was this. I tried Christ. You know, I really tried. I thought he would put my life back together. I thought he would give me the good things of life. You know, and, and because of that, you know, he, he went off. You know, and I think many times when we look at the hope that we have in the, in, in the, uh, in the, in the gospel, a lot of times we're, we're hoping in things that Jesus Christ never promised, never gave us. You know, and I think there happens to be a lot of people who call themselves Christian today that are absolutely frustrated with Jesus Christ. You know, there was another woman who called me on the phone here at the church that was unrelated to the church, but she said she was having uh, difficulties in her marriage. You know, and she told me, again, her her uh, sorry sorted uh, a life as far as, again, with her husband. You know, and she asked, asked what she could do. You know, and we went over the gospel, and we went over the gospel hope. And I can remember going through it because she interrupted me halfway through. And she said, don't tell me about this hope. Don't tell me about this hope to come. What I need right now is a husband who loves me. You know, and, and what did she want? She wanted some way that she could look at the word of God, the the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, what God had given us, and somehow to take that to get what she wanted in this life. You know, and I wonder, why are you trusting the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? You know, what what is the great hope? What do you hope for most of all to get from the Lord Jesus Christ? Like I said, I I think there's a lot of people that happen to be out there that are hoping in promises that Jesus Christ never made. You know, and here's the amazing thing, when you start to understand the absolute grandeur of the promise of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's better than anything that we could hope for in the here and now. It is really superior. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to understand that great hope, you know, so we can fix our gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ and truly follow him. I want us to understand that. So, I want us to walk through the remaining verses that happen to begin in this passage. And then I want us to see, again, uh, some implications from that. But let's just begin by looking at verses uh, 20 and 21 of our passage. And look what it says it says that the times of refreshing may come. From the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. And let me just give you a quick outline of these verses from verses 20 all the way to the end of the chapter. First of all, in verses 20 and 21, he outlines the hope of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in verses 22, 23, and 24, he grounds that in the unity of the message. In other words, as he goes through the Bible, there's not one hope here, one hope here, one hope here, and one hope here. There's one hope. And so he grounds it in the unity, again, this, this gospel uh, hope, in the unity of what is taught throughout the word of God. When you see in the beginning of the Bible, there's a promise of a kingdom. When you see at the end of the Bible, there's a kingdom that happens to be established. Right there is one hope that happens to be there, and then the last two verses that happen to be of this chapter, grounded again in this hope. He comes back to this future hope that happens to be in Jesus. You know, and like I say, many uh, uh, sermons that Jesus, even many sermons that Jesus preached, uh, he 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 preached on the gospel hope, and, and it wasn't very popular in his day. And you can imagine, because here is all this excitement that's going on. This man has been healed. Everybody knows about this beggar at the gate, beautiful. And all of a sudden, he's been, he's been healed. He, his legs have been restored. Now, here's the question. How can we use this new power to get what we want in this life? How can we manipulate it or get some promises, again, as far as our sordid life, as far as our sorry life, as far as our... Life again, full of suffering in uh, here and now, you know, and that's what they were they they were after, you know. And and it is amazing because I think there's slight variations that happen to be in the gospel. You can hear the gospel presented, you can hear the gospel, and then something just doesn't seem right about that gospel presentation. And there's slight variations, you know, such as this. You know, Jesus Christ. If you trust Jesus Christ, He came and He, he to deliver you from your sins. And if you trust Him. If you trust him, he suffered, so you do not have to suffer. Let me say there's a lot of truth in that statement. But there's also a slight variation. Because what it says is, if I trust in him, guess what? I am not going to suffer in this life. You know, and let me tell you, that is not the gospel promise. In fact, the gospel promise is the exact opposite. You know, if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be persecuted in this life. You will have difficulties and problems. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of Christ. And I think a lot of the times we're trusting in promises, like I say, that Jesus Christ never made. But let me just say this. He made such superior promises. And that's what he's making right here in verses 20 and 21 through, through Peter. He says that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed to you. Think of this promise. Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of re- for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. And when he says that... He's drawing his whole message to a conclusion. He's drawing it to a conclusion. You know, here, 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 here. Now now, now respond and, repent, and pray, uh, repent in faith. Now, why should I do that? This is why. That. You know, that this might come. And he talks about, again, these times of refreshment. And he t- talks about it as being future. But let me just say this as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we do get a taste of that, don't we? You know, we really do get a taste of that refreshment. I mean, God gives us new life. We see Christ. We love Christ. We adore him. We realize the significance of what he's done in our life. His word becomes living and active in our lives. He's given us, again, the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we realize beyond a shadow of a doubt, he's even given us a gift of other believers in Jesus Christ. And there's a sense, again, where we have a small taste of that great refreshment to come. And this is what the Jews were looking for. They were looking for this time of blessing that would come upon all people. And it reminds them that this this blessing, this time of re- refreshing, comes because of the presence of the Lord. In other words, the presence of the Lord will be with his people. But the one, uh, the agent who restores all things is Jesus Christ. Because he says in this passage, he says that he may send Christ appointed to you right that he may send this one in other words he's not here right now but he's going to send this christ you know to establish this kingdom you know and I, and uh, mike's been going through the book of revelation on um on wednesday evenings. And I, I don't know where you are in that but there's an amazing scene that happens to be again in revelation chapter five You know, in Revelation, again, chapter 5, here this search is made of heaven, of someone who is worthy to open up the end-time seals, bring in the kingdom of God, and there's a search of heaven, and there's actually weeping in heaven, and the reason why there's weeping in heaven is because nobody is found worthy to open up the scrolls, right? To bring these end-time judgments, to bring in this end-time kingdom, and then all of a sudden. The lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world comes forth. And he is found worthy. And the 24 elders sing out in praise in Revelation chapter 5 and verses 9 and 10. These words, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And listen to what he says. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to God. And they shall reign on the earth. Right? It's an incredible promise. It's incredible, again, to think you know, that the one who made this kingdom you know, to come and that we will reign on earth is none other than Jesus Christ. But the whole uh, emphasis that happened to be right here is this kingdom is not now. It's not in this disposition that we are living in. In the here and now. In fact, in fact, in verse number 21, he says, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring of all things. In other words, it's future, about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets. You know, whom heaven must receive. We saw that in chapter number one, right? Right, Jesus is no longer with us. You hear the apostles here, here the commission is given, and Jesus is translated up. And now he's at the right hand of the Father on high. He's making intercession for the saints. But here's, here's the message. He's coming back. He's coming back to establish this eternal kingdom. And if you want to come into this eternal kingdom, you have to trust the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. You have to repent and recognize that you are not worthy of this kingdom. You're not worthy, again, of this great hope. You have to trust in him, and your sins will be blotted out, and you will have this promise of this time of refreshing, this time, again, of restoration. You know, and I think a lot of times we never stop, and we never try, try to visualize We never try to meditate so often on the greatness of our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that's something I often try to do, especially when I'm down. You know, I try to think of the kingdom to come, and I I love to think about how great it is. And when I get to a place where I start thinking it's greater than I could ever think, and, and this is the greatest I've ever thought about it, I know it's well beyond that. And if I get over here and I think about how great it is, and this is the greatest I've ever thought about it, I realize it's way beyond that. You know, and there's various different passages of Scripture that try to bring out this eternal kingdom. You know, in Isaiah chapter 35 is one of them. In verse number five, he begins, "Then the eyes." And think of this: if you ever struggle with physical impairment, again sores that happen to begin in, in the beginning of the day. You know, if you ever struggle with disease or anything else, or, or those that you love do, this is a wonderful promise. Because let me tell you something that's missing in the, in the eternal kingdom, and we want it to miss. There's no such thing as a hospital in the eternal kingdom. Right? right? There's no such thing as retirement homes. Praise God, right? Yeah. Listen what it says. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And, and shall, then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute for sing for joys. And he talks about this change in our bodies. But then he talks about this change even in the creation that happens to be around us. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become like a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. Then the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And think about all the glory that is brought to God by God's people. There will be nothing unclean that comes into this kingdom. Because listen to what he says. He says, and a highway shall be there. And listen to what the highway is called. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Right? That narrow road. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there. Nothing us, ha- nothing nor shall there be ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there. But listen, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion. And listen how they come with singing listen to these words, everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain what? Gladness and joy. And listen to what's gone. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That's the hope. That's the great hope, isn't it? There's coming this eternal kingdom. But here's the message. It's not, and please get this, it's not in the here and now. Right? I'm going to say that a few more times. You know, not right now, but through it. It's not right now. You know, but this is the true hope, even in all of our difficulties, even in all of our struggles that happen to be in our life. And let me just say this, it never has changed, has it? So when you look at Genesis chapter one, when when you look at those first three chapters, and when you look at the end of the book of Revelation, you look all the way through, That purpose of God, to have a God-fearing kingdom filled with God's people praising him, hasn't changed. It's always been that promise. It's always been that intention. And it shall come to pass. So he grounds it in the Old Testament. You know, right at the end of verse number uh, 21, he says, God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And then he gives us an example of this. You know, that's the same message. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him, whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet, in other words, a coming prophet, shall be destroyed from the people. I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? It's incredible, again, to think of this. You know, beyond a shadow of a doubt. This is a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse number 15. And the Jews understood it as messianic. And it was basically this, when the Messiah comes, listen to him, right? Here comes the Messiah, put your trust in me if you want to come into this kingdom. I am the only way, I am the only hope, I am the only life, right? That's what Jesus said. You know, and everyone who does not listen to him will be destroyed. In other words, not come into this kingdom, Uh, go off into eternal punishment. But the good news is that we can come into his kingdom. We can have that assurance beyond a shadow of a doubt. And Peter doesn't end this sermon on the warning, but gives this great uh, hope of Jesus Christ in verses 25 and 26. He says, you are the sons of the prophet and the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you, by turning every one of you from your wickedness. What an amazing promise. We many times called this the Abrahamic covenant. And the Abrahamic covenant basically says that there is going to become one from the seed of Abraham that will be a blessing to all of the world. You know, and we realize that as believers here in the year 2023, that it happens to be again Jesus Christ who came, who lived that perfect life, died that substitutionary death, rose again, and as we see in this passage, Scripture is coming again. And this is a great hope that we will live eternally with him in in this perfect kingdom that will come. You know, we realize that beyond a shadow of a doubt. But here's the amazing thing. He said he has sent him to you first. In other words, the gospel went first where? To Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then where? To the uttermost parts of the world. We realize that. We saw that again in the great commission that was given. But it was given to the Jews first. Um, uh, Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to who? To everyone who believes. That's, that's the wonder of the gospel. But here's, here's, here's the order. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. And I think, again, the reason why it's to the Jew first, we, we could argue about all the promises that happen to be in the Old Testament to emphasize God's grace if it's good enough for these individuals that crucified the Lord of glory, let me tell you, it's able to meet my lead. It's able to give me the wonderful forgiveness of sin. And that's where he ends it on. He says that every uh, uh, to bless you by turning everyone, here it is, every one of you from your wickedness. It's a great promise, isn't it? Turning, repentance, trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's amazing because I truly believe this, and I think uh, uh, this needs to be emphasized again over and over and over and over again. The more that we recognize the gospel hope, the more that we're able to carry all the pressures of life. It doesn't mean our lives are going to change. doesn't mean the pressures. doesn't mean the trials. doesn't mean the suffering. Sometimes it'll even get worse. But the more that we recognize it, we change. We have this great hope, this great expectation that is going to come. Now, Let's just make some implications of this. And and the first implication that I want us to ask is, this your hope. (laughs) You know, here here you are, you say, I have trusted Jesus Christ as a savior from sin. I've trusted him. I realize beyond a shadow of a doubt that what he did on the cross was more than enough to save a sinner like me. But let me ask you, what are you hoping for in the Lord Jesus Christ? What are you saying? If I could have this, life could work. Life could be dynamic. You know, do you have that? Or are you frustrated with life and, the, and really disappointed with, with Jesus because he has not delivered on what you truly desire? You know what? We're going to look next time at the response to the second sermon. You know In the beginning of chapter number four, and, it's, and the response is basically by the religious leaders, and they want to shut this gospel down. And the reason why they want to shut this gospel down is because this is not their hope. Their hope is not found in Jesus Christ. Their hope, again, is not in a kingdom to come. But their hope is in this. It is in in the here and now. And I think, again, for a lot of people, when they look, again, at the world that happens to be around us, and they live in a Christian culture, a Christian community, many times they want to talk about something else. You know, they look at all the difficulties, all the trials, all the temptations that happen to begin in their life, and they say, there's got to be something else. There's got to be something else to emphasize. You know, look at all the problems. You know, we have unjust wars, evil men reigning and ruling today that are killing, again, multitudes. You know, does the gospel, does this gospel hope speak to that? We, 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 we even in our own land, again, have uh, what I would call uh, political oppression. You know, when we look at the political leaders that happen to be, again, in our day and age, it's incredible how many... Uh, laws that they pass, or at least attempt to pass, that are against what we believe as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think a lot of times we get frustrated, don't we? You know, we we recognize that oppression that happens to be again on us. You know, we realize that many people, even in their marriages, even in other things, again, are struggling. You know, there's a personal drama that are dividing people. When you look at racism that happens to be again in our world, it's everywhere, You know, we love to think many times that it's over, that it's been conquered, but just talk to uh, some people who happen to be, again, minorities, and you'll find out it's not. And should we be talking about addressing these issues? You know, and I think a lot of people have gone back to the Sermon on the Mount. You know, the Sermon on the Mount. If we could just change society, if we could just change our government, if we could just establish our society, our culture, our government... On the Sermon on the Mount, wouldn't that be great? Let me, let me just give you a, a caveat this. The Sermon on the Mount is not given as a template for society. It's given to show us our own sinfulness. Right? Right? But that's the, that's the template that many people are using. You know, if I can just go back there, look at what the Sermon on the Mount, if we just treat one another this way, if we could just take back our culture, if we can just take back our nation... You know, wouldn't it be wonderful if we have this? It, it it is interesting because this is in what I would call very conservative c- circles that these conversations are being had. When you go back to fifties or sixties, uh, liberal theologians were where we're talking about this. And they were talking about, again, changing society and what it was called the social gospel. You know, we need to change societies. We need to change governments. We need to change, again, everything that we see that happens to be around us. We have to bring it into line with what we see in the word of God. And then we'll have this utopia. Then we'll have this kingdom of God. And they even say it against statements like this. And think of it. When Jesus said, it is finished, please don't misunderstand what he meant by it is finished. What he meant is, I am finished. Now you have to carry it on. Now you have to establish this kingdom in the here and now. And let me give you a reality check. If that's the hope of the gospel, if that's a commission that we've been called to, let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, in 2,000 years of church history, the church has failed miserably. I want you to think of one country, just one country, one country, where they live by the Sermon on the Mount? One country. And the answer, in all of the last 2,000 years. And the answer is what? Three? No, no, no. Zero. Right? It, it's, it's amazing to look at this. You know, Christianity, therefore, has failed miserably. You know, we're 2,000 years removed from the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the amazing thing. There's no world reform that's in the gospel. Jesus doesn't say, repent of your sins, trust Jesus, he'll blot them all all out. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to go into Rome. Go go into the Roman Empire and reform it. He doesn't say that. He never says that. And this is what I want you to understand about this world. This world is not our home. This world is not our hope. And I have a sneaky suspicion that a lot of people are trying to make this their hope. I really do. You know, the promise, you know, if you just trust Jesus enough. You know, and, and it can be in our own personal life, it can be in finances, and it can be in the government. You know, one of the most appalling parts about the last three years that we went through, you know, it's not that we went through COVID. It's the cultural shift that happened to the gospel. I don't know if you realize this. And I realize this. I got frustrated with the government. I got frustrated with the government. How dare them do this? You know, and all of a sudden, there was this cultural shift that happens to begin over. And you could hear it because I heard it from a number of people. And they would say this because, you know, you try to go over the hope of the gospel. You try to go through, again, how we need to be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, 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 you try to go over how light shines so bright in dark places. And they would say things like this. There's only so much a person can take. Right? right what we need beyond a shadow of a doubt is we need a movement to topple the government of the day. And let me tell you, the Roman Empire was more strict, was more severe, was more cruel, and was more evil. And we never have a calling for that in the gospel. We never have anything like that. You know, what they did actually is move into more restrictive places and preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And think of it. Because what is the great mission of the church in North Korea what's a great mission of the church in North Korea in Russia in China you look at Chinese pastors that are being imprisoned and why are they being imprisoned is it because they're trying to topple the government what's a great mission what's a great mission if we happen to be again here or we happen to be again in any other country on the face of the earth What's the commission we're given? Anyone remember? Make disciples. Right? It hasn't changed. You know, it's in Matthew chapter 28. It says, go therefore, right? And do what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you to do. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, why would we do that? Why would we do that? Because this world is not our hope. Right? Jesus hasn't come here. You know, Jesus suffered so you don't have to. Jesus suffered in such a way that we have this glorious hope that we want to suffer for Jesus. If it will glorify him, it will magnify the truth of the gospel. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote these words many years ago. And it was true in his time, and let me tell you it's true in our time. It says there is not a word in Peter's sermon about what? Reform. There is not a word about going out to preach the gospel in order to make people live better lives or influence the imperial government of Rome in order to get these things put into practice. No. No, that is not how Peter preached. Remember, here is the first preacher in the Christian church. Here is the authentic summary of the great message. And what a wonderful opportunity. The crowded getter they wanted to hear. And Peter told them something that is in the distant future. Now, this was not only true of the preaching of the Apostle Peter, but was equally true of the preaching of our blessed Lord Jesus, our blessed Lord and Savior. Our Lord never claimed to have come into the world to reform it. He never said the world was going to get better and better. And listen to what it it says, because this is so true. The world was never going to get better and better. Indeed, he said the exact opposite. Right? Go through in Matthew and read the Olivet Discourse. And let me tell you, the one thing you have to conclude, it ain't going to get better. And let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, this world's not our home. I love that old uh, spiritual, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up where? Not here. Not here. Are your treasures laid up here? Is Jesus as an instrument because this is your hope? My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And that's why I, and the reason why I emphasize this is there's a real, real push for the church to become politically active. There's a real uh, push many times for conservative pulpits to talk more and more about politics rather than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're talking about politics because it's a means, again, of political defiance. That's not the gospel. And let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, that is not the commission that we're given. And I know that's frustrating for some of you. We may be persecuted. God has promised that this world will get worse and not better before He returns. Our hope is not in the here and now, but Jesus is really coming back. Let me close with Lloyd Jones this morning and what he says. He says this He's calling out a people for Himself. He sent these disciples and said, in effect, I leave my message with you. You are going to be witnesses to me. I'm going to give you power to enable you to speak and testify to what you see and what you know and what you have experienced. I'm sending you to Jerusalem, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm sending you to tell the universe that I am the Son of God and the only Savior. And our Lord has been doing this. Ever since, from that moment until now, he has been calling out a people and he has been been forming a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And then he concludes this way. That is the story that begins in the New Testament and has been continued in the long history of the Christian church. Throughout the centuries, the gospel has been preached, and men and women individually, sometimes in small companies, have had their eyes open. They have seen it. They have believed it. They have been separated from the world and be- became members of the church, members of the body of Christ. They've started living a new life with a new hope. They've lost the fear of death. And of the grave. They are unable to conquer sins. That used to defeat them. And this is still going on. He is still sending out his messengers. Men and women. Are still being converted. And renewed. Where's your hope this morning? What do you hope from Jesus? Jesus. You know, is it something in the here and now? God controls history. And Jesus will come. And let me just say this in closing. I think a lot of times God shatters our dreams in the here and now. For one reason. And you know what the reason is? Because he wants to show us the superior hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Rejoice in our Savior. Let this hope... Control your life and heart. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. What an amazing challenge, Lord. We can imagine many in that audience, that first century audience, who stood with eager anticipation to hear Peter's explanation of this man who was born lame how he was healed and lord as they began to hear about Jesus being the messiah I began to hear about sins blotted out no doubt thought many of them thought maybe this is the kingdom maybe this is the end of my trials maybe this is the end of my 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 struggles maybe this is the end of rome but God, we realize what Peter gives them is the promise of sins forgiven in Jesus Christ and the distant hope of Jesus Christ coming back. And Lord, as we read throughout your word that one day you will establish a kingdom, one day it will be filled with those who have trusted in Christ, those God-fearers. Lord, we realize as we read about it that everything that is broken, Everything that has been touched by the fall, Lord, will be made straight. Lord, that there will be rejoicing, there will be gladness, there will be jubilee, there will be praise to our great God forevermore. God is greater than any promise that we could ever have in this this day. I just pray, Lord, that we would set our affections on Jesus and him truly. We thank you so much. Just be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother.